Hello and welcome to Axles in the Attic. This is a six-part podcast series where we're going to look at the history of figure skating through a different lens. I'm again joined by the wonderful Allison Manley, all the way from Chicago. Hi, Allison. Hi, Ryan. Today we're going to move up north to Canada and talk about um, Norman A. Faulkner, the world's best one-legged skater. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I When you first sent this to me, I thought, really? A one-legged skater? You know? <laughs> But why not? This one blows. So, this one blows my mind. This blows it, my mind. It is a bit mind blowing, yeah. And and I it hope is. everyone, when they when they are listening to this, if if they're able to do this concurrently with looking at the the blog, you'll see the photos of him, and it's quite impressive. It really, really is. It certainly. I know. I was looking at this picture, and I was going, you know what? This this guy was able to accomplish on one leg. Reminds me that I have zero excuses not to be getting back on the ice soon myself. So that's how I feel about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm. thank you so much for inviting me to join you on this series, and why don't we get started? I think that sounds great. All right. Born on May 29, 1894, to C.T. and Judy Faulkner, Norman A. Faulkner would go on to become one of the most famous skaters to ever come out of Saskatchewan and not even losing his leg in World War I would phase him on this journey. Faulkner learned to skate as a young boy in turn-of-the-century Saskatoon and actually began his adventures on the ice as a member of his church's hockey team. He gave up hockey when his father died in 1908 of typhus, and he was forced to take on a job as messenger, delivering freight notices to help support the family. In the afternoons, he'd spend his little free time skating on a recently finished covered rink. He quickly found success on the ice, winning both the boys' and men's speed skating races held in 1909 and 1910 in Saskatoon. In 1910, he turned his attention to figure skating. Ruth Miller's book, Saskatchewan Heroes and Rogues, explains it this way. He delighted in figure skating, but it almost made an outcast of me, he wrote. His take on it was not that figure skating was sissy, but that others thought the sport was for aristocrats. And a boy who had to work instead of attending school was no aristocrat. But Faulkner stuck with it. He taught himself figure skating by reading books on the subject and became quite expert at it. Faulkner self-taught himself both school figures and free skating, as well as barrel jumping, and took up pair skating as well with partner Edith Finley. Both skated singles and pairs programs in carnivals in neighboring towns and villages. But fitting with his feeling of being treated as an outcast, he was never invited to exhibit his skating at his own home rink. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> it's terrible. I'm sorry. You know, you're, you're, you're a barrel jumper. You're good at figures. You're good at free skating. And people are already looking down on you because you're not an aristocrat. You're not good enough, good enough to skate. And you couldn't even perform at your own rink. How rude. Oh, that honestly is rude. It is, and yet, Ryan, let's admit it, it still happens today. It certainly does. I couldn't imagine yeah. politics and skating. No, no. No, it never happens, ever. <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, my. So, Faulkner was, was enlisted in the Army in 1916 and joined the 96th Battalion, later transferring to the 21st Battalion. 
Miller states in her biography of Faulkner that he took his skates to England with him and left them with his grandmother at Watford, just outside of London, where they remained while he was sent to Europe. After six months of serving in France, Faulkner was wounded on the front lines in Vimy and complications necessitated the amputation of his right leg at mid-thigh. Military records from the 21st Battalion state that the wound was caused by shrapnel and the amputation was required after an infection set into the lens area. An October 24, 1980 article by Pat McNeely in the Toronto Star that included an interview with Faulkner stated that the shrapnel was from an exploding shell and it, and it had cut through major arteries. So am I to understand then, Ryan, that he was still alive in 1980? He would be still alive in 1980. So let's look at when he was born. 1894. Yeah, 1894. Yeah. So he lived to an old age, but we'll get to that later on. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. He was invalided back to England where a final operation was performed on his leg and his grandmother arranged for him to coalesce in Selby Hall, a private estate that was opened for injured soldiers. There was a small lake on the property that froze in the winter. Do you see where this is going, everyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, determined, and determined not to be phased by the recent amputation of his leg, he sent for his skates and took to the ice. In the diaries of Faulkner, quoted in Miller's book, he wrote the following. Consider a man with only one leg who finds himself with a good skate on with nothing to take hold of for many yards in all directions. There is no reason why he should fall forward or backwards because he has the support he has to support the length of his foot or skate and can adjust the weight over the toe or heel by the slightest ankle control. The greater part of this will be to overcome gravity, but the smaller part in direct proportion to the amount his center of gravity has moved away from the perpendicular and towards the horizontal will be used for travel in the direction he started to fall. At that point, he must turn or left in or left into that direction. The skate will glide on the ice easily and likely travel in the falling motion, and the skate may not yet be on a traveling balance. By repeating the action, however, it can be achieved, and he will be skating. A thrust with the skate on the ice, followed by a glide on the skate, will accomplish this. The would-be skater persists and modifies the straightening of the knee and the amount he turns the skate in the initial effort and in successive ones, he will travel where he wants to. You see that for Faulkner, great thought was put into how he would achieve his goal of skating again, and with mind over matter, he most certainly succeeded. It wasn't without falling repeatedly or being discouraged by his nurses, but Faulkner was fiercely determined. That is some serious determination, Ryan. That certainly is. I mean, I, don't, I couldn't do it. If I lost my leg, I'd be like, and we're done. We're going to sit here. We're going to have a glass of wine. That's how it's going to be. <laughs> but now we have prosthetics, so we could, you know... We could. You could, could theoretically do it. <laughs> I think I'm just waiting for an excuse to sit down and drink wine. I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I'm not going to fault you for that. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So Faulkner left Selby Hall and was fitted with a temporary peg leg before receiving an artificial leg in Whitby, Ontario. He actually barely escaped death again on the way back. The hospital ship he returned on the HMHS Landover Castle 
sunk on its return ship to England after being torpedoed by a German U-boat. You can't make this stuff up. I know. 24- I know. So this luck is incredible in a bad way. Um, or in a good way, I suppose, whatever, whichever way you look at it. And only 24 people in one lifeboat who survived the shipwreck and the subsequent machine gunning of survivors by the Axis survived. Mm. Ironically, the ship, the ship that he had traveled to Europe from came from right here in Halifax and was also torpedoed and sank. <laughs> wow. I know. We laugh now, right? We laugh now. We laugh now, but, I mean, the fact that anybody, you know, to be one of 24 survivors losing your leg, losing your leg and fighting in the war and teaching yourself to skate again, that's crazy. It is crazy. Awesome. And yeah, it's, awesome. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, upon returning to Canada and being fitted with an artificial limb, he took to the ice on a hockey rink in Calgary, minus his artificial limb, so he could skate and was invited to perform between intermissions at the rink's New Year's Day hockey game by the rink manager. Miller's book explains, at intermission, the manager announced that Faulkner would skate one-legged. He had been skating for a full minute without a sound from the audience. Suddenly, he fell and did a complete somersault, but recovered and leapt back up in seconds. The audience applauded wildly. His brother later reported that the audience had been speculating on what gimmick he was using. Norman's fall removed any doubts as to the authenticity of his performance. He received $15 as payment, thus launching his professional career. So I oh, my goodness. Right? He's only allowed to join a skating show once he's lost his leg. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Oh my gosh, I almost like it. Almost, it's almost really, really angering in a way because it's just like no one should go through this much. I really don't think that they should. <laughs> Not fair. But he was discard. He was discharged from the military in 1919, and he returned to Saskatoon to live with his brother. He found a really hard time finding a day job. A day job but was able to find 25 bookings to perform his skating act professionally in carnivals throughout the prairies that winter. Despite continuing to have issues finding and keeping steady day jobs, skating continued to pay his keep. He returned to Ontario where he had visited to be fitted for an artificial leg when he first returned to Canada and skated three shows a week in the winter of 1920 there. From there, Faulkner took his skating act on the road and did two full tours one in the Maritimes, and one to Vancouver, as well as shows in Minneapolis, Duluth, Cleveland, New York City, Boston, Providence, New Haven, Montreal, St. John, Edmonton, and hundreds of other smaller communities in the U.S. and Canada. So he was a busy boy. <laughs> and he was. And the January 28, 1920 edition of the Daily Times states of Faulkner that he is now living in Toronto and has amazed audiences at a rink there by his wonderful feats on the ice. He seems to get leverage by bending his knee and throwing the weight of his body from side to side, go forwards or backwards at great speed, and can cut out more fancy figures than the average two-legged skater. Yeah, I'm really, I I can't even imagine what a one-legged skater on figures looks like, but... I can't either, I don't even... His, his... I can only imagine the strength of his leg. He must have had a very strong leg. 
<laughs> I think we're talking tree trunks. Yeah. Well, Faulkner married his wife, Helen, and applied to the ISU for reinstatement. Is that the same ISU that I think we're talking about? International Skating Union? I, I think we are. Wow. So he applied to the ISU for reinstatement, which finally happened in 1951 with the stipulation that he wasn't to enter any competitions. <laughs> Faulkner became a certified figure skating judge and was also a founding member of the Weston Curling Club. After his wife's death in 1973, he penned a brief memoir, which was presented to Toronto's University Skating Club along with his unused right skate. The Pat McNeely article, No Hospital Room for Vet, sadly speaks of the poor care that Faulkner received later in life at Sunnybrook Medical Center when he was told at age 86 to return in three weeks due to a hospital strike after suffering a series of dizzy spells resulting in falls. Faulkner passed away in 1985 in British Columbia, living a full and active life well into his 90s. Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, to me, his story is nothing short of inspiring and amazing. And it's one thing to get back up after a fall, but to return to the ice after losing one of your legs in the front lines of one of history's most gruesome wars, that's determination. It I is. Think yeah. back to, it is. And I, you know what? I think back to an interview that I did with Paul Benabos and I'm re- reminded by his story and his words about getting back onto the ice in the face of literally life-changing obstacles. And Paul Benabos said to me, I never had any fear about going back to the ice. I have been a skater longer than I can remember. I was thrilled to go home. And so Faulkner returned as well to the place that was home for him. And though we may well have not seen him perform, we still owe him a standing ovation, I think. I agree. And and considering how long his life was, I do have to wonder if there are some videos out there of him from his later years. I think that's something that we're going to have to dig for. It's certainly a challenge, but you know, to find a lot of video of uh, historical Canadian skating video, surprisingly. And, I, you know, as a Canadian, I'm kind of down on that because I kind of, you know, I feel that it has to be out there somewhere in terms of documenting. But I, I think we're going to have to see what we can find. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for allowing me to share this story of Norman Faulkner with you. It's, it's so interesting and inspirational, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of Axles in the Attic with you. And I'm thrilled to have you, and I am so excited uh, to explore yet another story. And so I think you'll have to come back for our next episode and learn more. And if you want to learn about, more about Norman Faulkner, and, uh, and also if you haven't listened to our first episode, you can find those online, and we'll post the links, links to those as well. So thank you so much for listening.